Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Hello, everyone. This is Rosie Tran, and welcome to Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weibo.tv special report sponsored by our friends at DuckDuckGo. You may have heard my voice at the end of every episode on Weibo.tv. I'm the one asking you to leave a review. Which, by the way, I hope you've done, right? You've left us a review? Okay, great. Unless you're lying. <clears throat> well, I'm a lot more than a voice. I'm also Weibo.tv's intrepid reporter, and over the course of this miniseries, I'm going to share with you short, actionable tips you can use to protect your privacy. These tips were sourced by our fearless leader, he really hates when we call him that, BJ Mendelson. BJ, for those of you who may not know, is the author of the book Privacy and How We Get It Back, a book that was published in the before times. This means before COVID. BJ is currently writing a sequel called How to Protect Yourself from Fascists and Weirdos. So everything we're going to hear in this miniseries is the most up-to-date information he's researched, bringing us into 2023 and beyond. Throughout the series, you're also going to hear from some special guests and experts in the information security field. You hear that sound? That means it's time for today's privacy tip. Hello, everyone. This is Amanda King, co-author of the upcoming book, How to Protect Yourself from Fascists and Weirdos. I'm here to share with you my interview with Jen Kaltreiter, who's the lead writer and researcher for the Mozilla Foundation's Privacy Not Included project. I spoke with Jen about a host of issues concerning your medical data and how it's being collected and shared without your consent by third-party apps like pregnancy trackers. In this interview, Jen recommends what apps you can use to safeguard your privacy while managing your pregnancy. She also has a lot of great tips and suggestions, so we hope you'll give it a listen. Before we get to the interview, I have a quick privacy tip to share. Stupid Sexy Privacy is a mini-series. It's going to end on or just after episode 25, and we haven't decided yet if we'll do a second season. So we want to urge you to go back and listen to all of the episodes if you haven't yet. That's because each privacy tip is meant to build off each other as you go through the show. But that's not this week's tip. In an earlier episode of the show, we discussed why you want to turn off facial recognition and biometric access to your phone. Instead, you should just use a long alphanumeric passcode to access your phone. We stand by this suggestion. But there's a new twist we wanted to let you know about. There's been a rise in iPhone thefts that involve attackers trying to capture your passcode before they take your phone. So when you're out in public and you need to enter your passcode to unlock your phone, we want to urge you to make sure you shield or obscure your screen. This way, no one can see what you're entering while you unlock your phone. For even more security, if you're going to go out for a long period of time, it might be worth removing any of the banking apps or other apps that have access to your financial information before you leave. You can always download them later once you've arrived at your destination or returned home. This is annoying, but the goal of this mini-series is to help protect you from fascists and weirdos. We'll get to the fascists in a couple of weeks, but for now, let's get to our interview with Jen Kaltreiter. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, for those of you that don't remember, I did also speak to you on episode 14 about dating 
and um, staying safe while dating. Um, today I am talking to Jen Coltrader. Um, thank you for joining us, Jen. I'm sure you're a very busy human being. If you could tell us a bit about yourself and what you do in your work, um, that would be fantastic. Thanks for having me. I lead Mozilla's uh, Privacy Not Included project, and that project is designed to try and help consumers understand the privacy and security of connected devices and apps before they buy them so they know which ones are going to do a better job of protecting their privacy than others. And you've recently done quite a bit of research into uh, pregnancy trackers and reproductive health trackers. Can you tell us a bit about that current situation and what that looks like? Yeah, last year in the United States, after it was announced that Roe versus Wade was going to be overturned, um, there was quite an uproar about what what data could be tracked, uh, you know, that could be used to um, harass, prosecute, uh, track women in, who are pregnant or looking to be pregnant or looking to not be pregnant. And we looked into some some pregnancy apps, some pregnancy and fertility apps, both, um, about 25 of them last, uh, late last summer. Uh, and it was, it is really scary. Uh, you know, when you have these apps that are tracking very sensitive health information that, that you read the privacy policies and, you know, they're sharing some data with people for advertising. Um, some of these, some of the data is getting gathered up and could be potentially, um, handed over to data brokers to be put up for sale. Uh, you know, a lot of the things, um, the questions that we had looked at, how does how does this company say they might share data with law enforcement? Do they kind of require a court document or do they voluntarily disclose with law enforcement? So we looked into a lot of that. And at the end of the day, what we found didn't make us feel very good about the situation. Yeah. And, and for, for the folks who have yet to kind of have a chance to read through the research that you've done, which I know you've also updated recently, what is the kind of recommendation that you came away with for people? Well, I think my recommendation is is kind of what I tell everybody of do you know do your own risk assessment, which kind of stinks because you know we're busy, we have lives, <laughs> we don't have time to think about all this. But um, once you put something in an app um, that's not just shared on stored on your phone, stored locally as we call it, or stored on your device, um, it goes out and it's it's gathered by the company. Then you no longer have control of that information. Um, and, and some companies might protect it better than others, but you still lost control. So you've lost control of, you know, very sensitive information like your due date, uh, your menstrual cycle, your doctor's appointments, what you want to name your baby, things like that. And um, and that's scary when you're thinking about how that information could be used uh, to, to know more about you, to target you with ads, but also possibly for more harmful things like, um, you know, raising your insurance insurance rates or or law enforcement, you know, starting to look into stuff that they have no business looking into. And to kind of delve into that a bit more deeply, what other threats within that data and having that data kind of more publicly accessible have you uncovered in your research or do you kind of see the option for? Yeah, I mean, we didn't look at that. We didn't dig into the instances where this is being done as much as we looked at the potential for what could happen based on reading privacy policies and and privacy documentation. Um, and and you know what we what you find is companies' privacy policies aren't designed to be a understood by compute consumers. You know, people are like, oh, I never read privacy policies. I feel so bad. I know I should. And I'm like, no, you really shouldn't. They aren't written for consumers. They're written by lawyers for lawyers. And so I read them 
working for a living and I have a really hard time understanding most of the time how companies, you know, use the data that they collect. Um, but once they collect that data, you know, they have it. And a lot of them talk about how they're going to protect it. And then you just have to trust them that A, they're going to follow their word or B, um, you know, it's going to be safe wherever it's stored and that's just never guaranteed. And so, you know, if the data were to be leaked, um, you know, my partner, Misha, who's a, who's a researcher on the project is just digging into, you know, data that he's finding on the dark web and, and, or data that data brokers have for sale. And it's really creepy. If you really want to be creeped out, like go just do a little research on data brokers and what data they have that they sell on people. And it's frightening. And you think, oh, so I'm hoping to become pregnant. Um, I live in a state where abortion is now illegal and I'm worried that, and I have a, a health condition that makes my pregnancy risky. You know, I'm worried that, you know, I could get pregnant. The doctors could not be able to help me in my health condition. And then you Google, like, what are my options? And suddenly, you know, or you put the, the you put that in the app or, you know, and suddenly that information, you know, isn't, is out there and, and people could use that against you in ways that are really kind of scary. So that, that, you know, law enforcement and, and beyond, you know, you could have, you could be blackmailed. Um, you know, it's just, it just goes down a dark rabbit hole that I, I, I don't think we want to go down right now. Absolutely. And we've found in our research that people over 50 care quite a bit about privacy, but people under 50, under 50, not really. Um, and now that seems to be changing, particularly in the post-roll world in this way. How are you seeing that reflected in, in your data and kind of the research that you've been doing, if you are? Yeah. Well, you know, we don't do focus groups to ask, you know, to try and understand exactly where people are. Our job is to try and move people along. And it's really good when we see the data that shows that they're moving along. Um, but, you know, I can just say anecdotally, when we rolled out our reproductive health app research last August, um, we had an unprecedented amount of interest from the media in it. And interestingly for me, um, I noticed there were so many women in the media that were super hungry to talk about this issue, which I really appreciated um, because, you know, it showed it shows the level of concern and it also brings privacy as an issue really to the forefront for people that have thought about it peripherally. Right. And, you know, I I think every movement, every kind of concern has a has a, a, a moment where it kind of triggers people to really care. And and, and I think that was a moment that we saw last year where it went from, you know, we always talk about creepy, how creepy things are here at Privacy Not Included. And last year we, we moved from talking about how creepy things are to how harmful they are. And I think that's a really great example of kind of the way things are progressing in the technology landscape where we're going from things just kind of being creepy to things being actually harmful to not just vulnerable communities, but to broader communities. I'm a Facebook hipster. I then deleted my Facebook account and then re-upped it in 2005 and have not been able to get off the stupid thing since. So so why can't you get off? So wh <laughs> what are your... <laughs> you guys. The award-winning Smashing Security Podcast, hosted by Graham Cluley and Carol Terrio each week. It takes an irreverent look at cybersecurity and online privacy. Helping you find out what's happening with your data. Find it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps.
or at smashingsecurity.com. It's not all filth. No, absolutely. And and that that sounds like something uh, BJ would say as well, that one of his uh, forefront ideas is how to protect yourself from from the creeps, essentially. Um, and again, for those who haven't had the opportunity to to see the research yet, um, what makes Yuki different? What do they do differently um, to a lot of the other um kind of female reproductive health um, apps out there. Yeah, Yuki's unique in that it was it was made by a nonprofit, so it's not made by a for-profit company where they're looking to make money off of you. It was made by a nonprofit and it was decided it was designed with privacy in mind. And so everything is stored locally on your phone. It's not shared out to the cloud. So your you know your your menstrual cycle, any data you enter, you keep control of on your phone. It's not being sent to a company where they can um, share it with anybody or it could be leaked. And so that's really like a huge, huge privacy thing. Anything that you can keep locally on your phone, on your device, um, just makes your privacy all the, the more safer. And then they had a really interesting feature where one of the, one of the concerns with these apps isn't just that your the company collects the data and it could be accessed. Um, after it leaves you, but also that your device isn't secure and protected. And so, um, it was interesting. Yuki has this feature where uh, if if you're forced to, it, it requires a passcode to access the, the app so you can keep people that are snooping out. And if you're forced to get, you know, provide the passcode, it actually has a, a way to enter a dummy passcode that will then open the app up, but will show false data. So it's a way to kind of protect yourself if you're forced to open it by, say, law enforcement or an abusive partner or something like that. And so those sorts of really thinking through the users and and privacy before the app is made is part of the app. Um, and then m not, not doing it for profit, but we're doing it for good are huge things that we liked with Yuki. Absolutely. And are there any other or what have you found in terms of other apps like Yuki or that have since you've revisited your research have increased their awareness of privacy or, or personal security within those uh, reproductive apps? Well, I mean, it's been a while since we've looked at the research, not a while, but it's been a couple of months. So I've heard that Drip is a good app, but I haven't researched it personally. Um, I do know that some of the companies that we reviewed um, have have kind of tried to improve on their privacy and security. One company moved all their data storage out of the U.S. So it's now being stored in Europe where it's protected by the stronger um, European privacy laws known as GDPR. So it makes it a lot harder for U.S. law enforcement to access that data when it's stored outside of the country. Um, that's a really good thing. Um, another feature is, is being able to, um, that I think, uh, Natural Cycles was uh, one of the companies that was looking into how to anonymize 
all the data that they collect so that everything was anonymized. They wouldn't be able to identify any of the data that they collect on people. And so seeing companies start to move in this direction after they realize that, oh gosh, we're collecting data that if it isn't quite handled co correctly, could really be harmful of people um, to people is nice to see. It, you know, there's still a long way to go, I think, for a lot of these companies. And, and then you have the companies that kind of talk about their privacy in a very positive way, but have had, you know, com you know, complaints uh, that, that they've had to F FTC, FCC, I can't remember which regulatory body, one of them um, has, uh, you know, kind of, uh, they've come under scrutiny from them for, for breaking thing promises they made in privacy policies. So, you know, you, you want to read the, you know, you want to trust the companies, but they've, they've too often shown that they're not trustworthy, unfortunately. How else can can women get a bit or people seeking abortions or people tracking their fertility cycles? How else can they get involved and be a bit more active in um, keeping themselves safe and keeping their, their data safe if they choose to use um, an app or have it stored digitally somewhere? Yeah, I mean, it's tough if, if you do choose to, to use an app, then know the risks that pretty much anything, anything you enter in an app that's not stored locally is potentially, um, could, could be out in the world. So just know that when you enter that, you no longer have control over it. So be aware of that, you know, go old school, um, you know, pencil and paper is an option. Uh, but you know, the, the thing that, that I worry about is, you know, the, the pregnancy apps are just the tippy, tippy tip of the iceberg of things that, that, that can be tracked to and used against women. Um, seeking reproductive health care. I mean, your Google searches, your, your car's location, uh, you know, the ring camera the, um, that your neighbor has across the street. There's just so much of our world right now that tracks all of us and all that we do. And it's really hard to kind of keep all that under wraps. And so, you know, one of the things that I hope we can do, um, as kind of people that care about privacy is, you know, push for better from the companies and push for better from the policymakers. Cause there's just, you know, putting all the responsibility or even putting most of the responsibility on consumers is just, it's not fair and it's not going to work. Consumers are going to continue to be in harm's way if that's the case. So you mentioned that like, there are so many other ways that your, your dad is being tracked right through your, through your text messages or through your, your neighbor's ring or, or through your hotel reservations. Um, how, or is this something that the Mozilla foundation is, um, also kind of researching and taking into account and looking to understand the, the privacy regulations around kind of these other, um, all these other ways. That, that people are tracked yeah, online. Yeah, yeah. I, I see kind of what you're getting at, the big picture, I guess. Um, and it's, you know, we're a team of two here at Privacy Not Included. So, you know, we do our best to stay on top of things and give people good information that they can use. But it's, you know, to say it's David versus Goliath is an understatement. Um, you know, when when you're dealing with the very big companies and it doesn't even have to go up to the level of, of Google, you know, companies like Glow and Flow are fairly, fairly good size. Um, so we do our best with what we have. Um, and mostly we just want 
consumers to be aware um, that the privacy landscape is ever changing and it's getting worse. <laughs> it's not getting better. And at some point we're all going to reach a breaking point where we realize, you know, we should have more control and ownership of our own data. Uh, you know, it shouldn't be up for sale. Um, you know, policies and, and regulations and need to change and strengthen. And that's really hard to do when tech lobbyists um, have a lot more money than consumer lobbyists. Um, but all we can do is keep plugging away and asking people to care, to just take a little time to consider privacy whenever they're using everything from a reproductive health app to a fitness tracker um, to a, a phone, you know? And so it's, it's a huge, it's a huge issue and there's so much going on there. And, um, you know, but trying to make it accessible to people, that's, that's what I think about every day is how do I make people that are busy, um, that don't think about this all the time, that maybe aren't that technical, how do I help them understand um, the issues, but also the things that they can do, which are, you know, don't support X company because they're bad, support Y company because they're better. Um, it's not about not using the technology. It's about using the technology smarter. For sure. And on that, sometimes people are pulled in by surprising things or, or things that were unexpected in, in your research as you were looking into these reproductive health trackers. What did, aside, because you, you have kind of a higher knowledge level of um, privacy policies and, and apps in general and kind of how they function. Um, so you have a kind of a higher threshold for this than a lot of people. What did you find that surprised you? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, last year, we didn't just re review reproductive health apps. We also reviewed mental health apps earlier in the year. And the thing that surprised me last year, and yes, last year was a bit of a tipping point for me where I kind of was like, oh, my gosh. Um, you know, we started back in 2017 and we were concerned about the smart speaker listening to you or the fitness tracker knowing where you are at all the time, which are very legitimate privacy concerns. Um, last year, we saw, you know, with the pandemic, there was a huge rise in these mental health apps that collect very sensitive personal information. Um, you know, are you suicidal? Are you depressed? Do you have anxiety? What are your OCD triggers? Um, things like that, that, that are really personal and intimate that you don't want out in the world, much like reproductive health apps collect, you know, your menstrual cycle and your due dates and your doctor's appointments. And so we've gone from this kind of, you know, privacy landscape where the, the digital ad economy drives everything, you know, as much data as, as, as can be gathered on you makes you um, better to target for ads that you're of, to buy things. And that drives the economy. And it's one thing to like download a, you know, a recipe app and read the privacy policy and see kind of they're collecting all this data. Meh, it's okay. It's my email address and, and my IP address. And, but then they're sharing it, you know, when they're using it for targeted ads and they're using it for personalization and they might be gathering data from third party sources to combine it with data they already have on you to have an even bigger profile. And it's like, okay, so they know I like brownies a lot. What's the end of the world? Um, but when you see a privacy policy that looks really similar to, um, for a reproductive health app or a mental health app that looks really similar to that recipe app, you're like, wait a minute. No, now we're, now this, this should not happen. Like the bar should be higher for that sort of sensitive personal health information. And it's not, and that's bad. <laughs> that's really bad. Um, so, you know, that was kind of a tipping point for us as we're kind of like, 
wow, this, this we're on this slippery slope and, and I don't see where we stop. Uh, you know, as it, it is, is more and more information is collected, you know, the, the, we're entering a world where they start to able to read our emotions by with our cameras or our voices. You know, they can tell how tall you are by your voice and your fitness tracker can tell, you know, you know, if you're pregnant by your body temperature and, and your sleep cycle. And so it's like we don't even realize all the data that we're giving up. We think we're just giving up little bits of data. But when you combine all that, we're giving up ourselves and we shouldn't be giving up ourselves for other people to make a bunch of money on office um, when it's it has the potential to harm us. This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ Save the World, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. This is a podcast for people just like you who ask, has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to rosieandbjsavetheworld.com to get more confused. Almost on the flip side of that, what what did you find that was particularly interesting or particularly compelling, um, either in a good or a bad way, but hopefully maybe in a good way? Uh, nonprofits. There are nonprofit groups out there that are working to make good products that um, respect privacy, both in the, the reproductive health world and the mental health world. Um, seek those out and use them. <laughs> it's you know, it's it's really nice to see support support the nonprofits that do that. Um, you know, there there are some companies that are kind of like, hey, let's let's build privacy in, and yeah, we have to find a way to make money, but we're not going to do it at at the expense of our consumers, our customers' privacy. Um, those are unicorns. They're few and far between, but there are some of them. Um, and that's encouraging. Um, it is discouraging, though, to know that you know, for example, iRobot was one of the better privacy companies that we've seen over the past few years. Um, last year, it was announced that Amazon was buying iRobot and uh, all the data that they've already collected. And so as a consumer, you can do all the right things and, and, you know, buy the right products and then hope that that company never gets eaten up by a bigger company that, that doesn't have as good as privacy. Um, so, you know, it, it, what is, what is there to be hopeful for? <laughs> uh, last year I, I, I had, a, I struggled to find things to be hopeful for, but I'm still here doing the job. So I, I, you know, I believe that we can make change. Um, it's just going to take more of us caring a little bit more and, and doing a little bit more. And, and that's tough um, because there's a lot going on in the world that people are asked to care about and do. And privacy, you know, people don't exactly feel the harms um, but now, but someday they might and then it'll be too late. Yeah, uh, it's it's always a tough one when when the, the the threat is kind of existential when you can't see it and visualize it and say here is this thing, um, as we've all learned over the past three years. <laughs> as as kind of a, a final question, um, what is something you've been asked about when you've been talking about? privacy and reproductive apps or mental health apps so far, and you haven't really had much of a chance to discuss? Well, this is maybe a little off topic, but it's as a privacy researcher and writer, I spend a lot of time reading privacy policies. Um, and I also look around at other places on the internet to try and deduce what I can about an app or a um, product before I buy it. And two things kind of occur to me last year as I was doing this. One, 
privacy policies are getting way more complicated. Um, you know, th there's addendums and additional documentation and, and, and just really, you know, like, like there was one, one product that we reviewed last year that had 14 privacy documents that, that they kind of linked you out to read that, um, that would have taken, you know, 200 hours if you'd just sat and read all of their privacy documentation. And that's a, that's a bad, you know, it's like, it's getting more complicated for consumers to try and understand what's going on. Um, and then you see, you know, I, I go to the, like the, um, for example, uh, Google and Apple both have their app stores and their app stores are actually, you know, a good place to try and go and see what you can learn about what app permissions an app uses before you download it or find the link to the privacy policy. Um, and they, they also have kind of, um, privacy and security information. And one of the things that, um, I noticed last year in looking this, um, especially with the Google Play Store, which which is what I use most, and and I don't want to let Apple off the hook because they haven't been perfect either. But they added a data safety page um, on on their every app page. You, you go there and it's like click here for data safety information, and I did, and it was surprisingly bad. It was surprisingly like not helpful in terms of either being. Um, it's self-reported by the app developers. So you just have to trust that the app developers are being honest. Um, and it's also I, I, the rules that Google has for the information that, that is provided on those pages is pretty loosey goosey with a lot of loopholes. And so I found that if I were an average person and I went to, for example, um, Twitter, wanted to download the Twitter app off the Google Play Store and I click on the data safety information, the first thing I would see is something that says that Twitter says that they don't share any information information with third parties, which if you go to their privacy policy, that's not what their privacy policy says at all. And so it's not something that's talked about a lot, but there are some tools that are kind of out there to try and help consumers make better decisions, but they're really flawed, you know, when they're coming from, you know, the companies too often. And so I just kind of a buyer beware on that as we're trying to um, sort this out. And, and, you know, one thing that I learned recently was the nutrition labels that are on our food. At least here in the U.S., you know, when they first started coming out in the 60s, they were really misleading and and not full of good information. Fast forward to today where they've gotten much better and in some places are actually required to be used in restaurants and things. And so, you know, we're kind of in this process of where the nutritional label equivalent for privacy information is starting to come out, but it's still pretty flawed. And so I'm just cautious to warn consumers if they do look at that. Um Take it with a grain of salt right now. Maybe do a little bit more research. And apologies, I lied about the last question because hearing you talk <laughs> about this, um, I really want your opinion on this. In terms of realistic next steps, realistic kind of evolutions in how um, reproductive health is handled digitally, um, if you had a magic wand, what what would that realistic <laughs> next step be for for most, if not all, reproductive health apps or um, companies? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say any data that a company collects is completely anonymous. It's nothing's personally identifiable. Um, 
they're not allowed to share with third party at, for advertising purposes, anything that could be linked to a customer or even, you know, even anonymized data can sometimes be de-anonymized to identify people. So, um, you know, treating right now, personal health information, you know, is covered under some laws, but that has to be with your doctor. And that's, and so a lot of these apps aren't covered by stricter health policy laws, like in the U S HIPAA. Um, and so fixing that so that if you are sharing personal health information with some something that's not a doctor but still collects a lot of that is protected as strongly as HIPAA protects the conversations you have with uh, your doctor. Um, and just, you know, stripping as much <laughs> of the money out of this as possible, which uh, the flip side of that is if there's no money, there's not going to be any development on that. And so um, I don't know how to solve that problem, but I would say having all the data be anonymized, um, you're not collecting any personal information and, and absolutely never sharing or selling anything with data brokers ever. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Jen. I appreciate it. Most things people hate about the internet comes from a lack of privacy, like those creepy ads that make you think your phone is listening to you. DuckDuckGo is an all-in-one privacy app that can help you with that. It's your internet browser with private search, tracking blocker, encryption, and even built-in email protection, all for free. Just go to DuckDuckGo.com to learn more. DuckDuckGo, privacy simplified. Thank you for listening to Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weiwo.tv special report. I'm your host, Rosie Tran. Today's episode was written by BJ Mendelson, produced by Andrew Van Voris, and sponsored by DuckDuckGo. Due to the overwhelming demand for privacy audits, we want to make a quick announcement before we go. Doing one-on-one privacy audits is super time-consuming. This means BJ has less time to write these episodes and the new book, How to Protect Yourself from Fascists and Weirdos. So, along with his co-author, Amanda King, BJ is currently putting together an online course called Stupid Sexy Privacy, which you'll be able to purchase here at stupidsexyprivacy.com. The course will walk you through every privacy tactic discussed in today's episode in greater detail. If you'd like to know when the course becomes available, you can email bj at bjmendelson at duck.com. The email address again is bjmendelson at duck.com. And we'll see you next time, right? <laughs>